Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray, Father, that you will make us instruments by which your will will be done on this earth. We look forward to a time when there will be developed a people of whom you shall say, Here are those that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. We know that this is your will. Please, Lord, make us instruments by which your will will be done on this earth. We pray, Father, that this devotion we are going through now will take us a step in that direction. That through the words we will hear, we shall be edified and strengthened. That it shall be as manna to strengthen us and it shall be as water to refresh our souls. Therefore, Lord, grant us of your spirit. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned as it is written in your word. Fulfill your promise, Lord, as you said that you will give your spirit to all those that ask. And put your words in my mouth, that it may be blessings to all who listen. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering our prayers. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, May 30 Not to be trusted But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. 1 Samuel chapter 15 verse 9 Since the defeat of the Philistines at Michmash, Saul had made war against Moab and Ammon and Edom, and against the Amalekites and the Philistines, and wherever he turned his arms, he gained fresh victories. On receiving the commission against the Amalekites, he at once proclaimed war. To his own authority was added that of the prophet, and at the call to battle, the men of Israel flocked to his standard. The expedition was not to be entered upon for the purpose of self-aggrandizement. The Israelites were not to receive either the honor of the conquest or, or the spoils of their enemies. They were to engage in the war solely as an act of obedience to God for the purpose of executing his judgment upon the Amalekites. God intended that all nations should behold the doom of that people that had defied his sovereignty and should mark that they were destroyed by the very people whom they had despised. The victory over the Amalekites was the most brilliant victory that Saul had ever gained and it served to rekindle the pride of heart that was his greatest burial. The divine act devoting the enemies of God to utter destruction was but partially fulfilled. Ambitious to heighten the honor of his triumphal return by the presence of a royal captive, Saul ventured to imitate the customs of the nations around him and spared Agag, the fierce and warlike king of the Amalekites. The people reserved for themselves the finest of the flocks, herds and beasts of burden excusing their sin on the ground that the cattle were reserved to be offered as sacrifices to the Lord. It was their purpose, however, to use these merely as a substitute to save their own cattle. 
Saul had now been subjected to the final test. His presumptuous disregard of the will of God, showing his determination to rule as an independent monarch, proved that he could not be trusted with royal power as the vicegerent of the Lord. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Not To Be Trusted. We left off yesterday with looking at the commission and the command given to Saul to go and fight and utterly destroy the Amalekites for sins that are obvious. And if you didn't, or if you don't understand why the Lord sent him to do this, then you may want to listen to that devotion yesterday that is titled Tested Again for May 29. So now reading from 1st Samuel chapter 14, verse 46 down to 48, it tells us of the conquest that Saul had before this commission. It says, then, when, then Saul went up from following the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. So Saul took the kingdom over Israel and fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab and against the children of Ammon and against Edom, and against the kings of Zobah and against the Philistines, and whithersoever he turned himself, he vexed them. And he gathered an host and smote the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of the hands of them that spoiled them. Hmm. So Saul was getting a lot of victories, but the Amalekites was not yet utterly destroyed. And that is why in 1 Samuel 15 from verse 1, it says, Samuel said also unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, hearken unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Why is it that Samuel started this command in this manner? It is because before now, Saul had not been listening. When the Lord tells him one thing, he does another. And now Samuel is reminding him, it was the Lord who selected you as king. Listen to him. And then he proceeds to give him an instruction. From verse 2 he says, Thus said the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. But slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And if you want to know why the Lord involved infants and suckling and women, you can listen to yesterday's devotion to get an understanding of why the Lord went this far. It was necessary. Verse 7 says, And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to shore that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatnings, and the lambs, and all that was good, and would utterly not and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse that they destroyed utterly. Indeed, Saul could not be tested. You can imagine how the Lord watched Saul doing all of this. Samuel had charged him, hacking unto the voice of the Lord. It was him who selected you to be king. Now, do this. Smite utterly everything. Don't spare anything. Saul heard it very clearly. But when he went there, he did something else. And you can imagine what heaven was looking at at this time. Angels of God were waiting to record over Saul that he became an obedient person, that he has become repentant, that he obeyed the Lord. And you can imagine the blessing the Lord would have given to Saul had he obeyed the Lord at this time. But the record written against Saul's name sadly 
probably in weeping the angels will record disobedience that he was a rebellious person he did not listen to the word of the lord like we read in our devotion in conflict and courage page 156 paragraph 3 this victory over the amalekites was the most brilliant victory that saul had ever gained and it served to rekindle the pride of heart that was his greatest peril end of quote the greatest and most brilliant victory his most brilliant success became his most brilliant and greatest peril do you understand that the same thing could happen to us that when the lord raises us to a pinnacle and gives us victories and then that is the greatest time of our greatest defeat because of what the lord wrought it is therefore important that we understand that as we climb higher and higher gaining greater victories and victories we need to go lower and lower in humility of heart in prayer to the lord because it is the tall trees that are swept away by the storm but the lowly shrub is kept untouched because they are lowly saul in this time of his highest heights and his greatest victory the most brilliant of them became the time of his greatest fall let us learn the lesson let not the time of your greatest victory become the time of your greatest fall there are many who the lord will promote today and they throw parties in disobedience to god in defiance they say oh let us party i've gotten something great the lord has blessed you and is that how to thank him by getting into sin and taking alcohol and reverie and all of that that is the time of your greatest fall when you do that be careful the time of victories are supposed to be the time of prayer and humility not the time of reverie and a time to rejoice in the way Saul did not that you cannot rejoice you can rejoice in the Lord but not pointing your fingers at yourself so that people can come and look at you and they are celebrating you instead of thanking the Lord you know that many people do that today some people look at their birthdays as great victories oh it is not easy they say as if it is themselves that brought their self to that particular age oh it's not easy to get to 60 years it's not easy to get to 70 years it's not easy to get to 80 years you do think it's easy as though they brought themselves there easy in whose hands is it in your hands it is in God's hands. it is the Lord who brought you there so when you throw your birthday parties pointing fingers at yourself and telling people to come and celebrate with you you, could, you may even mention God's name but the fact is that you're pointing people to yourself and that is what Saul was doing here by sparing Agag he wanted to use Agag as a trophy for himself and this was a presumptuous act and he said that he did it for the sake of the Lord that he was doing it to bring glory to God but did the Lord ask for that kind of glory did the Lord request that Saul does such a thing for himself? No. And this is what leads us to the lessons now. Let us try and flesh out the lessons from this story of King Saul. Remember that we are told that all these things were written for our learning upon whom the ends of the world are come. So let us learn the lessons. The first lesson we can look at here is that God cannot work with those who want to get creative with him. Today, people are getting creative with God. God gives a particular direction and they get to do something different. They create things out of their own imagination. They get very creative with the Lord and modify his instructions and do something contrary and different, thinking that the Lord is going to approve of what they have done. Who was the person that did this? Cain was the first person who I know that did this. He modified God's ways. Abel, his brother, gave exactly what God requested. He gave the exact sacrifice 
but Cain will think of modifying it and he did modify it and gave to the Lord something that the Lord did not request. And was he accepted? No, he was not accepted of the Lord. God cannot work with those who get creative with his worship styles and they want to bring in all kinds of things into the service of the Lord and say that it is we are giving it as an offering to the Lord. Did the Lord request such offering as you coming to shake your body and dance in a very uh, disorderly way in the house of the Lord? Did he request that offering from you? He did not. Did he request that you come in with the drums and the birthdays celebrated within in the church? Did he request that from you? You can thank the Lord in your homes. When you bring your cake into the church and say, Oh, I'm coming to celebrate my birthday in the church, the Lord requests that from you. Don't get creative with the Lord. There are many things we do in the house of the Lord today and in our personal lives that is we cannot find it in the scriptures by principle. Now I'm not saying every act that you must find it in the scriptures, but the principles that is found in the word of God, you will find out that when we get creative with God, it goes against his principles. In this case, Saul's creativity got against God's, went against God's principles and it was not accepted. And same thing with Cain. And many times you see that people are offended with God because he does not accept them. And why is it that God does not accept? Like Cain, we bring an inappropriate sacrifice. Saul was also rejected because of this. We'll talk about that some other time. So the first lesson, do not get creative with God. Follow him to the letter. Do exactly what he says. And secondly, we see a lesson of how the Lord views disobedience. Disobedience to God in the form of modifications to his direct instructions is a sign of pride and disrespect on our part. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 2, we read these words. You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Also in Proverbs 30, reading from verse 5 and 6, it says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not to his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. So let us not add to God's words and get creative with him, and let us not remove also, do exactly what he says. Another lesson we learn from here is the sin of presumption. What is presumption really? We read in Conflict and Courage, page 156, paragraph 4, Saul had now been subjected to the final test. His presumptuous disregard of the will of God, showing his determination to rule as an independent monarch, proved that he could not be trusted with royal power as a vicegerent of the Lord. End of quote. So let us try to understand this because that's what we'll be majorly talking about in this devotion, presumption. Presumption means to be confident and arrogant, overstepping reasonable bounds, to do something without authority and to lay claim without permission. If you make a decision yourself, you presume too much. Here King Saul made a decision himself when he is under the law, of course. He made a decision himself. It was presumptuous. It's an arrogant behavior, venturing, the act of venturing beyond due bounds of reverence or respect. We saw how he did the same thing with Samuel. He ventured beyond his bounds and made a sacrifice he should not have made. But you know, presumption and faith looks like they are the same because presumption is done in the name of the Lord just as faith is done in the name of the Lord. The Bible tells us in Romans 10 verse 17 to know a difference between faith and presumption. It says, so then, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
To exercise faith, we simply have to take God at his word, believe what he says that if we do what he says we should, then we will get the promised blessing. We then, firstly, depend on the word of God, that is, do the thing not in our own strength, but believing that he who has asked us to do it has already provided the strength to do that thing. Then also, faith shows that we expect the blessing after doing what we should have done and we do not doubt. We expect and even believe that we have the blessing promised to those that obey. Therefore, in Hebrews 11 verse 6, we are told, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So, what is, what is presumption? I ask the question again. It is not unbelief. Presumption is the, is the imposter of faith. Presumption is faith's double ganga, masquerading himself as faith. But on a closer look, we see that he is not faith, but faith's evil twin. Faith takes hold of God's word, believes it, trusts it, and in the strength of that same word, acts out the word. Presumption, on the other hand, does not take hold of God's word. Presumption manufactures from his own imagination a word for, him, for himself, which he says is not different from God's word, and decides to have people follow and believe that thing. He urges that in man's own strength, man can act based on his own imagination. Presumption has no word of God supporting him and cannot be leaned on because he has the word of men as his backup. He is so powerless, but yet many still follow him. Presumption, therefore, leaning on man's word gives birth to superstition. You say superstition is the father of many nations, giving birth to all kinds of lies and practices that have no foundation or power. Because of the lack of power and presumption, someone has to deceive to make presumption and his son superstition powerful and that is none other than the devil himself. I would say that the, that two other children of presumption are false dreams and false vision. So simply put, presumption is to believe and act on something that God's word has not enjoined. It leads to asking amiss and that is why we read in the book of uh, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 3, you ask and you receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. It is presumption that makes people ask amiss, asking for things that God has not promised that it may be consumed on one's own selfish desires. So as you can see, presumption and faith are alike, but they both have belief in them. Sometimes the belief required for presumption is very great because it makes no sense. True faith, I'm reading now from Our Father Cares, page 131, paragraph 4, it says, True faith consists in doing just what God has enjoined. Saul did not do just what God had enjoined. He presumed. He imagined something and did what he liked. But true faith consists in doing just what God has enjoined, not manufacturing things he has not enjoined. Justice, truth, mercy are the fruit of faith. We need to walk in the light of God's law. Then good works will be the fruit of our faith, the proceeds of a heart renewed every day. End of quote. Again, in verse in uh, our Father Cares, page one thirty one, paragraph three, we are told, the work of faith means more than we think. It means genuine reliance upon the naked word of God. By our actions, we are to show that we believe that God will do just as He He has said. The wheels of nature and of providence are not appointed to roll backward nor to stand still. End of quote. So, from what we have seen here, and what faith really is from the word of God, it is 
to depend on God's word and do exactly what he has said. When we manufacture for ourselves other instructions with the mind that this is the thing about presumption, thinking that that thing you are doing is acceptable before God, that you are doing it for the glory of the Lord, that is the excuse of presumption. And then they believe, this thing I'm going to do, I'm doing it for God, say God will prosper me. That is not faith. If you have not the word of God for what you are doing, that is if you cannot see a thought says the Lord in the word of God telling you do this thing, then you are being presumptuous when you go to do that thing and expecting that God will bless you. That was the same thing Cain did. He did something that the Lord never asked him to do, but he was doing it for the Lord nonetheless, giving a sacrifice of the best of his fruits. He didn't bring, bring anything that was not good. He brought the best of his fruits. But what happened? It was rejected because he was being presumptuous. Did the Lord tell him to bring that? It was out of his own imagination he did this. Saul, did the Lord tell him to spare those animals for sacrifices for himself? Because that was his excuse he gave later. That he left those animals to use them as sacrifices for the Lord. Did the Lord request that from him? No, the Lord did not. So he was modifying God's instructions and thinking that he was doing it for the Lord. And that, and in doing that, that's the thing about presumption. He had to neglect another of God's word that said that he should, he should kill all of them to start with. So you see here that presumption... The wicked act of presumption comes where we see it directly going contrary to something else that the Lord has commanded. God said, slay every animal. And even the king Agag was supposed to be slain. But what did Saul do? He had to think of something else that he would do, saying that he was doing it for, the, for God's work. And thinking that because he said he's doing it for the Lord, then he's justified in neglecting another of God's commandments where he was told to slay them. Presumption does not rely on the word of God, but it relies on man's imagination. We have already seen some examples of faith in some other studies we've been having, like the centurion, Naaman, the blind man, Peter walking on water when he caught the fish, when there was none all day, and all of that. You see, those are examples of faith. In all these examples, the work of faith was only performed because they heard the word of God. But in the case of presumption, the work does not rely on hearing God's word. Rather, it relies on the children of presumption such as superstition, false dreams, false visions, false prophecies, lies, and the imaginations of men. When you are depending on dreams, you say, oh, I dreamt this, therefore I want to go and do this. And that your dream is contrary to God's word. Or you say, oh, I saw a vision. And that your vision contradicts God's word. For example, somebody said, I saw a vision. The Lord told me not to worship on the Sabbath day. And the word of God is telling you, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are being presumptuous. And that's how presumption fosters itself. That's how it strengthens itself with false dreams, false visions, and the lies of superstitions and false prophecies. And sometimes none of these things, but just mere imagination. People just say, I feel I'm impressed this, I'm impressed that. Impressed what? Did the word of the Lord tell you that, to do that thing? If what your impression is, is going contrary to God's word, and then you are telling yourself, I believe the Lord will do this for me. Why? I feel so. My mind is telling me this. But fine, your mind is telling you that. Go and check what your mind is telling you with the word of God. Saul's mind was telling him, keep these animals for sacrifice to the Lord. But what did the word of, what did the word of God say? Destroy them. If your mind is telling you something and that thing is contrary to God's word, but you keep telling yourself, I believe the Lord will accept what I'm doing. When you know that that thing you are doing is going contrary to God's word, you are being presumptuous and you will not be accepted of the Lord. The same verdict that the Lord gave to Israel, to Saul, will be given to you. 
and these acts of presumptions they give birth to fanaticism and extremism all these false visions for all dreams the imagination of men's heart they all later on will lead to extremism and fanaticism let us look at some other example of presumption in the bible this time it is the case of jesus temptation in matthew chapter 4 reading from verse 5 to 7 it says then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him if thou be the son of god cast thyself down for it is written he shall give his angels charge concerning thee and in their hands they shall bear thee up lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone jesus said unto him it is written thou shalt not tempt the lord thy god that's it so what really happened here between devil satan and uh, jesus satan quoted a bible passage for jesus asking him to do something but this is what happens when we focus on one bible passage we are we become unbalanced and that like i said this is what leads to extremism and fanaticism when you don't let the word of god to balance itself out it is true that the word of god said what satan said he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways but then there's the other passage that says don't tempt god in other words do not put yourself into positions that are trying and expect god to deliver you from it that passage that says he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways is conditional to keep thee in all thy ways that is as far as you are following the lord wherever you find yourself the angels of god will protect you but that promise is not to be claimed by those who want to do things contrary to god's word for example somebody says and people have done that i'm going to enter into the zoo uh, the cage of the lion and the lord will protect me who sent you there? When you do that and you are claiming this promise that he shall keep his give his angels charge over me, he will keep me in all in my ways. Will he protect such a person? No, he would not. I heard that it's a popular story here that there was a man who did that claiming that the Lord would protect him to show that he is a man of God and he took he, he to his Bible as a pastor and entered into the zoo and went told them to open the, the cage of the lion and he entered inside and the lion ate him. It's a story that they usually tell but we don't even need such story. I, I don't know whether it really happened but then people do that today. People do it presuming thinking that oh because the lord has promised this i will go in on my own into danger and expecting that the lord will deliver them he will not deliver had jesus jumped like satan said to prove that he was the son of god no angel would have kept him in because that was not the way of the lord and like i said many are doing this today thinking that the lord will protect them in an in a course that is not good when daniel found himself in the lions and he did not walk there the children of uh, israel the other three hebrew boys shadrach meshach and abednego when they were thrown into the fire the lord preserved them but not because they went there by themselves circumstances led them there they were walking in the way of the lord and they found themselves there and the lord delivered them but presumption will want to go into danger himself the lord told the devil thou shalt not tempt the lord thy god you see reading now from desire of ages page 125 paragraph 3 and downward it says when Satan quoted the promise, he shall give his angels charge over thee. He omitted the words to keep thee in all thy ways, that is, in all the ways of God's choosing. Jesus refused to go outside the path of, of obedience while manifesting trust, perfect trust in his Father. He would not place himself unbidden in a position that would necessitate the in interposition of his Father to save him from death. He would not force providence to come to his rescue and thus fail of giving man an example of trust and submission. Jesus declared to Satan, It is written again, 
thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. These words were spoken by Moses to the children of Israel when they tested in the desert and demanded that Moses should give them water, exclaiming, Is the Lord among us or not? Exodus 17 verse 7. God had wrought marvelously for them, yet in, the tr- in trouble they doubted him and demanded evidence that he was with them. In their unbelief, they sought to put him to the test. And Satan was urging Christ to do the same thing. God had already testified that Jesus was his son. And now, to ask for proof that he was the son of God would be putting God's word to the test, tempting him. And the same would be true of asking for that which God had not promised. It would would manifest distrust and be really proving or tempting him. We should not present our petitions to God to prove whether he will fulfill his word, but because he will fulfill it, not to prove that he loves us, but because he loves us. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. But faith is in no sense allied to presumption. Only he who has True faith is secure against presumption, for presumption is Satan's counterfeit of faith. Faith claims God's promises and brings forth fruit in obedience. Presumption also claims the promises but uses them as Satan did to excuse transgression. Faith would have led our first parents to trust the love of God and to obey his commands. Presumption led them to transgress his law believing that his great love would save them from the consequence of their sin. Let me pause and say something now. Saul also did the same thing and many of us do the same thing. Saul transgressed God's law that told him to slay all the animals and even King Agag and he was believing that the Lord will pardon him or will not even take it as a sin. Why? Because he was doing what he did in the name of the Lord. In other words, he, he, he disobeyed so that he can give sacrifice to God. So also, he did it before when he made that sacrifice that Samuel was supposed to make because he was thinking, emergency excuses me. I, I was under an emergency situation, so I had to do it. That is what presumption does. It claims God's promises, but commits sin and excuses himself because he's feeling that, oh, the Lord will pardon me. Going on in the reading now, it says, It is not faith that claims the favor of heaven without complying with the conditions on which mercy is to be granted. Genuine faith has its its foundation in the promises and provisions of the scriptures. Often, when Satan has failed of exciting distrust, he succeeds in leading us to presumption. If he can cause us to place ourselves unnecessarily in the way of temptation, he knows that the victory is his. God will preserve all who walk in the path of obedience. But to depart from it is to venture on Satan's ground. There we are sure to fall. The Savior has bidden us watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Mark 14 verse 38. Meditation and prayer would keep us from rushing unbidden into the way of danger. And thus we should be saved from many a defeat. End of quote. You see, the sin of presumption lies close behind the virtue of perfect faith and confidence in God. Satan flattered himself that he could take advantage of the humanity of Christ to urge him over the line of trust to presumption. Upon this point, many souls are wrecked. Satan tried to deceive Christ through flattery. He admitted that he was right in the wilderness 
in his faith and confidence that God was his father under the most trying circumstances. He then urged Christ to give him one more proof of his entire dependence upon God, one more evidence of his faith that he was the son of God by casting himself from the temple. He told Christ that if he was indeed the son of God, he had nothing to fear for angels were at his hand to uphold him. Satan gave evidence that he understood the scriptures by the use he made of them. That is from, end of quote, that's from Confrontation, page 48, paragraph 2. Going on, it says, The Redeemer of the world wavered not from his integrity and showed that he had perfect faith in his father's promised care. One way he did that, I'm reading now, it says, He would not put the faithfulness and love of his father to a needless trial, although he was in the hands of an enemy and placed in a position of extreme difficulty and peril. Secondly, he would not, at Satan's suggestion, tempt God by presumptuously experimenting on his his providence. And thirdly, Satan had brought in scripture which seemed appropriate for the occasion, hoping to accomplish his designs by making the application to our Savior at this special time. End of quote. It says, Christ knew that God could indeed bear him up if he had required him to throw himself from the temple. But to do this unbidden and to experiment on the Father's protecting care and love because dared by Satan to do so would not show his strength or faith. End of quote. So do you see what's going on here? It says, to do this unbidden and to experiment upon his Father's protecting care and love would not show his strength of faith. This is how it is with us today. We have many promises in the scripture, but they must be used appropriately. If not, we will be guilty of the sin of presumption. Reading from our High Calling, page 95, paragraph 2, it says, There are those who recklessly place themselves in scenes of danger and peril and expose themselves to temptations out of which it would require a miracle of God to bring them unharmed and untainted. These are presumptuous acts with which God is not pleased. Satan's Satan's temptation to the Savior of the world to cast himself from the pinnacle of the temple was firmly met and resisted. The arch enemy quoted the promise of God as security that Christ might with safety do this on strength of the promise. He says now in the same way Satan urges men into places where God does not require them to go, presenting scripture to justify his suggestions. The precious promises of God are not given to strengthen man in a presumptuous course or for him to rely upon when he rushes needlessly into danger. We are required as children of God to maintain the consistency of our Christian character. We should exercise prudence, caution and humility and walk circumspectly towards them that are without. Yet we are not in any case to surrender principle." End of quote. So let us be careful not to follow our imagination presumptuously or place ourselves unbidden in areas where you'll be requiring miracle, the miracle of God to deliver you when God did not send you there. If circumstances lead us to the lion's den, the Lord will protect us. We can claim God's promise. And even that, in that case, it doesn't mean that the Lord must deliver you. The promise he gave is still dependent on him to fulfill. It is not for us then, even in cases where God leads us, he may lead us to our death. Then what more when we go to place ourselves unbidden, without any reason, just go to place yourself in a place of temptation. What do we think we would expect from there? And when you are doing expecting the Lord to deliver, that's not the case. One more example of presumption is in the case where the children of Israel were told that they were not going to make it to 
Canaan anymore and that they would die in the wilderness. The next day they came to meet Moses that they wanted to go there. Reading from the book of Numbers 14, reading from verse uh, 40, it says, And they rose up early in the morning and got them up into the top of the mountain, saying, Lo, we be here and will go up unto the place which the Lord had promised, for we have sinned. And Moses said, Wherefore now do you transgress the commandment of the Lord? But it shall not prosper. Take note. The commandment was that they should remain in the wilderness. Before they were told, go to Canaan, they rebelled. And the Lord said, okay, you will stay here and you will die. None of you is going to make it. The next morning now they are saying, we want to go. Hear Moses' words. Moses said, you are transgressing God's words. They were going there in the power of the Lord. They were even going to pray. Even if they like, take the ark with them. If you like, take the, if they liked, they could have taken the ark. They were going to be defeated. Why? Because even though they were praying about it and going there claiming the blessings of the Lord, they didn't have the word of God for it. And when they went, in verse 45, it says, Then the Amalekites came down on the Canaanites which dwelt in the hill and smote them and discomfited them even unto Hormah. This is a classic example of presumption. When they had God's word supporting them, they did not exercise faith. But when God withdrew his word, they presumed that it, is, it will still be as pleasing to God to go and fight when he didn't ask them to. In fact, in this Numbers 14, reading from verse 44 it says but they presumed to go up onto the hilltop and nevertheless the ark of the covenant of the lord and moses departed not out of the camp then the amalekites came down and smote them so here it was a presumption that they did but what do we learn what is the difference between the act of these people and faith they lacked the word of god to support them they walked according to their own imagination they did not depend on god's word but had a blind belief they strongly believed the lord would deliver us but did they have any word of god no and the Lord delivered them? Did he deliver them? No, he did not. They were being fanatical and overconfident. They followed their own imagination and it led them to being to this extreme which killed them. Such are the results of presumption. These days people see visions for others. They give false prophecies and follow the imagination of their own foolish hearts and they claim that it is faith. Some have faith that they will be healed when they have not fulfilled the condition of God's word. Others believe that they will be rich when they have no unconditional promise from God on this matter. Some will be poor, some will be rich. It's not for you to just say, I believe, I believe, and then that's how it will be so. It's just presumption. There are still others that believe that if they do this or that thing which God's word did not tell them to do, they will ask God for all kinds of things that he did not promise and act, believing strongly that they will get what they imagined. Many times they are sadly disappointed and that's why God says in James 4 verse 2 and 3, you lost and have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your loss. In other words, you're asking for things the Lord did not promise or you're asking for things he promised but on the wrong conditions unbidding going into temptation we cannot receive anything from god which he did not promise therefore we shouldn't act act presumptuously and even if he promised it we must fulfill the conditions first it is true that there are many promises in the word of god but we must understand that even these promises have both their conditions and their timing for fulfillment for example god has promised eternal life but are we to receive it now no at the right time we will get it Reading from Evangelism, page 35, paragraph 2, he says, Many have expected that God will keep them from sickness, merely because they have asked him to do so. 
But God did not regard their prayers because their faith was not made perfect by works. God will not work a miracle to keep those from sickness who have no care for themselves, but are continually violating the laws of health and make no efforts to prevent disease. When we do all we can on our parts to have health, then may we expect that the blessed results will follow and we can ask God in faith to bless our efforts for the preservation of health. He will then answer our prayer, if his name can be glorified thereby. But let all understand that they have a work to do. God will not work in a miraculous manner to preserve the health of persons who are taking a sure course to make themselves sick by their careless inattention to the laws of health. You see, end of quote. This is from the book a call to medical evangelism page 35 paragraph 2 you see this applies to the promise of good health so let us remember we are not to depend on false dreams and visions and imaginations of our mind this may lead us to ask for things that god did not promise as though he did or like it led king saul to thinking that god would justify his acts because he was doing it claiming that he was doing it for the lord while disobeying something the lord has already said before so let us learn these lessons and be careful not to go into presumptuous acts like King Saul because we will be rejected just like him. Let us pray. Thank you, dear Father in heaven, for giving us these lessons. Forgive us for the times we have acted presumptuously and help us learn to act by faith. And I pray, Father, that you will teach us exactly what faith is. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering our prayers. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Amen.